I hope you had your nap this afternoon and you're not planning on one now. I hope you won't have enough time for much of one, really. We're in Exodus chapter 25. We'll be there in a minute. Do not forget, next Sunday night, do not show up here. The place will be vacant like a cavern that has nothing in it. Because we're going to the Fowler Center on the ASU campus, and we've got churches and around the area. We're wanting to pack that place. Do not use this as a chance to say, well, since it's just singing, we're going to stay home. Don't do that. No one's going to come to your house to fetch you or anything. We're not going to give you a ticket. But I want to tell you, this is a time to show the area how good acapella singing sounds and how much we enjoy being together. We've asked several congregations, Grace Point completely dispensing with worship and, and their building and they're coming up there. Salem, Arkansas has got a bus coming. There are other congregations and we wanted to show the area, the unity that exists, even though sometimes we have skirmishes with each other. There's a unity that exists here and we're going to sound really good. Tonight, right after right at the end of the service, maybe before the final amen or something, they want us to show Easton's um, baptism. I know it's a little weird, but when your kid gets baptized and he's a thousand miles away, it's just kind of one of those, I wanted to see it. Well, they didn't get to see it. Well, they did get to see it, but they didn't get to be there. And they thought, we want our whole family to see it. So you're going to witness this tonight. I know we already kind of talked to him about it, but I just want you to see it. So tonight, right before the closing prayer, you're going to see that video of them. That's something that's really great because here's the truth I'm all okay with people saying I'm gonna wait till this date or whatever I still think what scripture shows when you know it and you need it do it immediately whether your family is there or not this immediate thing in the gospel and the gospels and acts especially they did it right then and I appreciate this family saying listen I you could wait till you get home but don't you got a thousand mile trip to come home let's get this right and I think it's a beautiful example for us. We're in Exodus chapter 25. I've got to repent. I didn't sing the song this morning, so we're going to do it tonight. So this makes up for it. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes. You can be honest and you can speak out a little bit. When I say the word tabernacle, you think tent. Somebody's right off the top. That's a, who, Gary, was that you? I expected it to be. Who said that? Raise your hand. Okay, Jerry, okay. Uh, when I say tabernacle, you think what? Tent is one answer. Moses. I think boring. Have you ever read this stuff? We've got chapters of details of this tent they're supposed to build. Moses is up there for 40 days to get the pattern. That's how intricate the details are. This is where when you're at church camp, I've mentioned this before, and they're squirmish at night, it's like 3 in the morning, and they won't go to sleep. You open up this part of scripture and you start reading. And the kids just fade away. Because it's all this detail, the colors and the materials, and you're just like, oh, 
you have this commitment to read the Bible through in a year, this is where that commitment dies, right here. Not only do you have all this detail, but then there's a break for a minute, and then they build it, and they give the details again, like we didn't get it the first time. Boredom. Second word is tent. Now, I was at church camp, Red Oak Springs in, in Texas, three or four summers, and they have a building on their campus of that, that church camp they call the tabernacle. When you did, we did worship or whatever, we went to the tabernacle. The problem with that is it was a permanent structure. Church camp with a permanent structure called a tabernacle makes it an unscriptural church camp, doesn't it? Because this whole thing is about a tent you took around with you and you'd put it up and you'd stay a while and you'd move around. It's because God was being mobile. But I want to kind of redeem the word tabernacle. I don't want to spend a lot of time in all the details of this chapter, but there's a few things I want you to get. There are a lot of details, really heady stuff, and for New Testament believers we go cross-eyed when we talk about the tabernacle and these details. But let me give you three details you need to know. That every time you see the word, read the word, or hear the word tabernacle, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about this. God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with them. It's God's idea. Now, you're fully aware, like every believer is, Acts chapter 17, Paul talking to the Athenians and says, guys, we know God doesn't dwell in houses. He doesn't need anything made by human hands. He's everywhere. And to think that God can be confined to one location is arrogant and ridiculous. But whose idea was the tabernacle anyway? Who came up with this plan? We want God living among us. It was God himself. Look at verse 8 of Exodus chapter 25. Let them make me a sanctuary that I can dwell right in the midst of them. You get the idea we serve a God who wants to be right in the middle of our lives? He's not content to be rising above and us talk to him on occasion. He wants to be in the middle of what's happening in your life. And too many of us want to make him peripheral. But God says, I want to leave right there. I want to live among them. I want to dwell with my people. And so God calls Moses up on a mountain for 40 days to give him all the intricate details of this house, this tent that God is going to live in with the people. Why in the world do you think God wants to dwell with us, smelly, feeble, fickle people? We're stubborn and we're stiff-necked. Just a few chapters from now, God is going to say, Back up, Moses. I want to fry all the Israelites and start all over with you. Imagine God dwelling among people who just can't get it right. And the moment he gives us the Ten Commandments, and just a few days later, they're wanting to build this golden calf. What kind of a people does God want to dwell among? It's us. Get this through your head. When you hear the word tabernacle, get this. God wants to be right smack dab in the middle of your life. He wants to dwell with you. That awesome thought is, is, is something that can bowl us over. He wants a relationship so bad that he arranges, I'm going to go through these details, I'm going to arrange to have a tent living among you. What was the sorrow that God experienced when Adam and Eve were driven from the garden? Here's the sorrow, is there's going to be a separation between us now. Before that, Adam and Eve would walk with God every day, and they'd have this close walk, and that was lost forever because of sin. You know why God it broke God's heart? Because that connection was severed. In a way, 
that can't be fixed until the end of time. But even from then on, he's trying to do some kind of thing to live among us. And that's the story of all of Scripture. And that's where the tabernacle comes. I want to dwell with you in the wilderness. And even after the tabernacle story and the failure of the Old Testament, we have this baby who's born. Call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. It's like God's saying, he's back. He wants to live with you again. And here's Jesus. I want to live with you. And that's what Jesus means. I want to live with my people and live among my people. And that great verse in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son of God from the father, full of grace and truth. That dwelt among us word is the word tabernacle. Jesus is the tabernacle of God living among us and then after he departs he sends the Holy Spirit and guess what the Holy Spirit is when you become a believer when you repent and be baptized Acts chapter 2 he says your sins are forgiven but even greater than that the Holy Spirit comes into your life and God dwells in you he is in you living with you right this moment and by the way he'll still be there Monday morning as soon as you get up it's not just in the collective church it's in us and I know that's been a debate through the ages but it shouldn't have been because God dwells in us he takes up residence in every believer that's what he chooses to do God wants to be with us he longs to connect so anyone who says you know what God just he's tired of us he can't stand us he doesn't like humanity he'd like to wipe them all out that is not true God wants to be right in the middle of your life. And that's what the tabernacle message is. Here's the second thought I want you to think about tabernacle. God wants to live with you, but second, it's going to be costly. You, read, you heard that reading just very well made a moment ago on all the weird things. Now, I've heard preacher stories. Don, you may have a few of these. Um... I know others would. These preachers, these old-time preachers, you know that were preachers back, you know, long, 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 long time ago, right? They would tell me you'd preach for a meeting and they'd come and they'd pay you with chickens or bags of potatoes. You ever been paid with chickens, Don? Has that ever happened to you? I bet it has. If it's not, it's something else. Chickens, potatoes, whatever, oranges or whatever. They come up there and they just give you whatever they can. God says, here's the thing. I want to build this tabernacle, this tent that I can live with you, but I want you to pay for it. That's weird, isn't it? Don't you think it should be out of the church treasury? We have this all the time. Don't you think if we do something for this or that, the church should just pay for it out of the treasury? Well, that's one way you could do it, but that's not how God pays for the tabernacle. God just simply says, we're going to have a good old-fashioned free will offering. I'm going to pass the plate, and I'm not going to tell you a percentage. I'm not going to tell you it's at, because it's not out of the tithe. The tithe was something else. It's not out, it's, I just want you to put in there whatever this might be worth to you. Don't you hate it when that happens? Just pay whatever this might be worth to you. What? I don't want to, I don't want to. Now, here's what happens. I used to go to Cardinal games all the time because I could go for cheap. Now, it costs so much, I just don't want to go anymore the, the price gets a little high and I'm, I'm not willing to do that God wants to do this on purpose how bad do you want me to live with you it's easy to say I want God I want to know God I want to have a relationship I want to walk with God but it's going to cost you something 
It is going to cost you some. God tells you that right up front. He doesn't put it in the fine print. And He doesn't send you a letter after the fact. God lets us know, I want to dwell among you, but I'm going to tell you, it's going to cost you something. And you got to be just, and I'm going to know whether you really want me there or not, because what you're willing to put in there tells me how much I'm worth to you. You can play, you can pay gold, silver, MasterCard, Visa. You can pay goat hair. I've never paid anything goat hair, but somebody did. You can pay with oil. You can pay whatever you, I don't care what you give. It can all be used for this, but I want you prompted by your heart to pay for this. So God's not going to move into a neighborhood where he isn't wanted. God will not force himself on anyone. He's willing to move among us, but he needs to know that he's welcome. And that's how salvation is today, too. God really wants to take up residence in every human heart. He tells us this. God so loved the world. He loved them all. He, he died, his, sin died, his son died for the sins of the whole world. God wants every man everywhere to repent. God wants everyone to let him live within them and save them. But will God get what he wants? Not in this case. Because while he wants to save everyone, he will force no one. It's a matter of a choice. How bad do you want him in your life? It would seem like an easy decision, wouldn't it? Man, the creator of the universe wants to take up residence in my heart, in my life. He wants to dwell in me. Who in the world would turn down such a thing? But here's the thing. It's going to cost you. And this cost is what causes everyone to be hesitant. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost you money. It may cost you friends. I know it's free, and it is. God paid the price, but it's still going to be costly to you for him to actually reside in your life. We understand that when you think about a new home. I want to live in that home and you buy that home, that's great. But I'm going to tell you, there's going to be a big chunk of money every month going out of your account to pay for that. It's a nice home. It's a great image to give you. But you are going to pay for it. You understand this with God, too. When you do come to him, you submit to him everything. That's what lordship means. Which leads to the third thing. When you hear tabernacle, you should say, God wants to live with me. When you hear tabernacle, you should say, but God's going to cost me something for that. And third is, if the tabernacle is, that it's on God's terms, not ours. I want you to look at two verses. Look at verse 9, the last one that he read a moment ago. Exactly as I will show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, you will make it. You're going to make it exactly like I say. Now, look at the end of the chapter, chapter 25, verse 40. And see that you make them after the pattern for them, which is being shown you on the mountain. We all, I think the world wants a, a custom-made walk with God. I can, I can kind of do what I want. I can add God to my life and I can accentuate or accessorize my life with my own stuff. I can choose for myself what he can do and what he can't do. I can kind of veto this and I can custom make this and I can just kind of make it kind of my own personal buffet choice. God says it's got to be exactly on my terms. You don't give me whatever you want, you're going to give me what I ask. If we could express our individualism, I think we'd have a lot more people saying, I want to be part of the church because I can, 
and there is some individualism in the church, by the way. There's a lot of free areas, but there's some areas where he says, I've got this pattern, I want you to honor it. If this is just about adding God to your life among all the other things, that would be one thing. I'll tell you about my NASCAR experience. I have a couple of these, but one of them I remember keenly. We were sitting in Bristol about ready to watch this race, and they were uh, having the national anthem. You, you know that basically all NASCAR fans are the same. They all believe in God very deeply. There's no atheists who are NASCAR fans. I don't really know why this is so. They're all God-loving people. And they'll tell you so. They all cuss, drink, and smoke all at the same time while watching a race. They're all loud and obnoxious. And so as you're watching the race, you know, it's about ready to get started up, and they're drinking over here, and they're cussing, and they're spitting, and they're all this stuff. And then the national anthem sung, and it's total silence. You respect the national anthem because America is to die for. So you stand. And then the woman led the prayer. I don't know who she was, but she led a prayer. And they were all, their hats came off. They were respectful respectful of God, and as soon as amen was said, they were cussing, spitting, and drinking, and all this other stuff. It just kind of went back to normal. It's like, I'm going to add God to my life for a little bit, and then I'm going to go back, and you listen to country music, and that's kind of that way. We do whatever we want, and we add God to it, and it sounds like it's endorsement. It's just kind of a funny thing like that, right? That's how I think a lot of people think, of, I'm just going to add God to my life. Great, I, you were saved, put you into my life, and everything looks the same, basically. It doesn't change anything. I just add one more feature. And God is saying to us in the tabernacle, you're not going to build this and do with this whatever you want. The pattern is going to be honored. Or I won't live there. And he has a right to do this. Here's a new owner in us. I think about this about the New Testament so much. I think about 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when Paul says, you're asking me, can you Christian men go and, and consort with prostitutes? And he says, no, you can't. Do you not get that your salvation and that your, your invitation for God to live in your life reorders your life? And God says, you can't have me and that stuff too. He's a pesky owner. He's kind of he's invasive. And he has strict demands for what you do with that life of yours. And he says about baptism in Romans chapter 6, he says, you were used to be slaves to sin, which leads to death. Now you've been changed. You're now slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. There's been an ownership change, and when there's an ownership change, all the rules change. All the ways of who can do what in this house changes. It's understandable. Any restaurant that changes ownership, it changes rules. Same with a bank and same with everything else. There's a new owner. I struggled kind of a little bit with this over the weekend. Uh, I was invited, we were all invited, to Myatt's first birthday party. Now, I usually stay away from little kids' birthday parties. I'm not terribly comfortable with little, little kids. You know, they just kind of, I don't know. I don't know what to do. What do you do with a one-year-old at a birthday party? And I thought, well, I'm going to do this, though, because it's Myatt and because he's here, because I feel like I had personal investment in this kid's life, and so I got to thinking about this. What almost made me change my mind is that Melissa was on this Houston trip, and so I took her four-year-old Bible class last Sunday morning. I thought, how hard can it be to teach four-year-olds? <laughs> After three counseling sessions, I have the worst case of PTSD I've ever had in my life. I had all these four-year-olds sitting around with Play-Doh. And I'm supposed to do the story of the ten virgins with their oil. 
You sit down with some four-year-olds and talk about ten virgins with oil lamps sometime and see what you get. We're doing all this stuff and, and, and all these kids, and you know what they want to do? I didn't, I have not prepared for, they just want to tell stories that have nothing to do with anything else. And so there's Cyrus telling me, you know what, I really like hotels. I like swimming in hotels. And he tells me this really long story about swimming in hotels. And I'm thinking, I'm supposed to be telling you about ten virgins with oil. What am I supposed to And after, one after another, and I had Noah with me. He didn't know what to do. I had Amy Johnson with me. She didn't know what to do. Fern was needing to go to the bathroom, and I was about to die. What are you supposed to do in a classroom like this? And I began to think, I'm not going to that one-year-old birthday party. They're going to eat me alive, right? But you have to. That kid nearly didn't make it, and I still think, that's, this is going to sound arrogant, I don't mean to, we got him through that together, church. We got him through that together, and so I got an investment in this kid. And so here was the theme of a party. You got to come as the best superhero, right? And I was thinking maybe they'll have a contest, and I want to win a contest. Now, they're thinking the kids come dressed as superheroes, not adults, right? But I thought, I'm going to break a rule. And I thought all week long, how can I dress like God because he's the superhero of the story, don't you think? He's a superhero of the story. And I kept thinking, fire? I don't know how to make myself fire. I don't know how to make myself light. And nothing about me. I mean, I, we're all in the image of God, but it just doesn't quite communicate, right? Me coming in, oh, I'm just like in the image of God. See, that's not going to work. So I settled for something second best. I called LeBonner and I said, would you please be willing to send me a neonatal intensive care unit doctor's uniform, everything, the hairnet all the way down, and they said, we'd love to for that. So I would dress up as a LeBonner doctor and went to that, 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 that party. And I'm going to tell you, there wasn't a contest, but if there would have been, I'd have won that thing. Because all those Superman and Batman, they could have done nothing for Myatt, could they? But those doctors did, and that was the superhero I was dressed as. But here's the thing about the, the whole story and why I brought that up. When God chooses, invites, because you see, he wants to, he invites himself into every life. He invites you to let him in. He urges you to the gospel. He's calling everybody, let me in your life. I want to come live with you and be in your life and be in your midst. I don't want to be a distant God who just seems far away and doesn't care and you can pray to once in a while and maybe reach him. I want to be right there in the middle of your life and he wants to but not just to bless you he wants to be in your life to make you more like him and reach the rest of the world with the same invitation he's not going to come into your life and let you carry on business as usual there's too much at stake for this I will come into your life and I will dwell there but I will change you and I will make you like me and I'll make my appeal to the rest of the world through you I'm not going to leave it up to you to decide what it looks like I will come into your life but I will rearrange your life and I will make you to look like me. And I will invite myself through you into the lives of the rest of the world. That's what the tabernacle means. I'm not coming in your midst just to give you assurance. I'm coming in your midst to take over the world. I want the kingdom to come on the earth as it is in heaven. I want to take over the entire world through my people. And that means that I've got to have a say, the say, in what you look like when I come. 
This understanding of the tabernacle needs to be tested. Jesus was the tabernacle of God, and when he came, the message was the same. God does want to live with you. He loves you, and he's coming to you, but it's going to be costly, and he's going to, he sets the terms, and the church is the same way. The church is where God dwells on the earth. It's the kingdom on the earth of voluntary people, right? And the message to the world is God wants everybody to come to him, and he wants to dwell with them, but it's going to cost you because it's on his terms, and his terms are rather simple. Let me make you in the image of the Son I gave to make this possible. Let me make you look like me, God says. Submit to the Lordship of Christ. Repent of calling your own shots and messing up your life and confess the name of Christ. Be immersed and take on the image of Christ and join God's purpose in sharing God with the world as he tabernacles through you and shows the world what he looks like. That's the whole point of the tabernacle. And while that's in the Old Testament, it's also in the New. Today it's called the church. And that's your mission for this week. Be God in the world and beckon other people to let God in their lives too. There's your mission. Now go forth and live it. There's anyone who needs to respond this evening. The invitation is open as we stand and sing to encourage you.